And I just love that that imagery that you you, you gave us there of dancing joyfully. I always say, do you want to dance at your daughter's wedding? Mm-hmm. But the dancing joyfully part, that yeah. now I, I'm sure now that may feel a reach for some people. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll dance, but I'm keeping arm's length, you know. <laughs> I'm not dancing with him. I had that in a meeting the other day. The person's like, I'm not gonna dance with him. I'll dance, but I'm not gonna dance with him. Would you be willing to do a line dance? Can we agree on that? <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. Would you be yes. willing to do it? Welcome to the Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law podcast. Sit down with the California divorce experts, financial divorce consultant Mark Hill, marriage and family therapist Pete Russos, and attorney Sean Weber for a frank and casual conversation about divorce, separation, co-parenting, and the difficult decisions real people like you face during these tough times. We know that if you are looking at divorce or separation, it can be scary and overwhelming. With combined experience of over 60 years of divorce and conflict management, we are here for you and look forward to helping by sharing our unique ideas, thoughts, and perspectives on divorce, separation, and co-parenting. Well, we are almost done with our three-part series. We've done why it's important and how it's important and useful to have an attorney involved in your mediation. We talked about the usefulness of a financial specialist as part of your divorce mediation. And this week, you know, for this podcast, we want to talk about the role of a mental health professional um, in a mediation. And, and, you know, before we started recording, we, you and I, Pete, were talking about the different angles and different roles that a mental health professional can play in, in a divorce mediation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but but there was seemed to be a unifying theme. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the 30,000 foot view, if you will, is uh, I think that my role is really about helping people manage themselves through the, the difficult and challenging emotions that come up as part of the divorce process, as part of trying to transition into a more collaborative co-parenting. Um, Dealing with the grief that I think is inevitable, even when it, when a, a, someone views a divorce as being the really healthy decision, the right decision for them, I think there's almost always a grief process that's involved. And so, how do they work through those emotions? And then the very practical aspects of it. When, when I'm assisting in a mediation, often my role is is to help people manage their reactive moments better so that they can communicate more effectively, be engaged more effectively in a settlement discussion that might at times be challenging and difficult. So again, I think the the, the broad thing that ties these different ways that I can be involved together is how do I help people learn how to manage the, the thoughts and feelings that come up for them that are painful, that are challenging as they're going through the ending of a marriage, transitioning of a family. And of course, we've also seen that inverse relationship, the inverse proportion relationship between the people that actually need a coach and the ones mm-hmm. that are willing to hire a coach right. or a mental health professional. Right. You know, it tends to be that when you're like, I don't need a mental health professional, those are the ones that I worry about the most. 
you know yeah and and uh, also there's the resistance that you get from people oh no i don't need another mental health professional we spent years in therapy it was a waste of time and money look where we ended up I, right it failed so, yeah. divorced. exactly yeah <laughs> Well, so I'm, it's I'm, important to explain the difference of the roles as a marital therapist and as a, and as, you know, assisting in the mediation. Yeah, well, I would say the goals and the objectives are definitely different. Um, what, what's interesting for me, though, is the way that I work with people in therapy uh, mm-hmm. versus the way that I work with with people that I'm assisting in either mediation or working as a as a, a, a coach and collaborative process. Is, is absolutely the same. My core focus is on self-management and what it is that the people need to do to manage themselves in more appropriate, respectful, and effective ways when they are feeling uncomfortable, when they're triggered, um, when they're dealing with tough issues. And so, the, the, but, but having said that, the goals and the objectives, uh, it is about getting through a divorce process in the healthiest way possible. It's about being more collaborative, you know, co-parents. And so those are way more specific. It's about disentangling as romantic partners, not trying to transform and and heal a romantic relationship. So the focus is very, very, very different. But I think the dynamics, and this is part of the work, you know, the things that made the marriage difficult are going to play out in a mediation and a collaborative process. In fact, One of the things that actually drew me to collaborative work, and let me figure this out. I started doing, I got trained in the collaborative model in 1996. (laughs) And I had been done one of my internships at Family Court Services in Santa Clara County. That was my first exposure to divorce work. That's how I met uh, practitioners in the collaborative divorce model. And one of the things that really drew me to the model was hearing Nancy Ross talk about how she had been working cases and it wasn't unusual for her to hear clients in a collaborative divorce say that they wished that they had connected with with Nancy sooner. And what they recognized was they were able to make these healthy changes as part of their coaching process in a collaborative divorce uh, process. They were actually able to transform their dynamic with each other, and it became much healthier. And it was this bittersweet moment where they found themselves thinking, oh, what if we had been able to do this work sooner? Who knows? Maybe the... I was going to say, there's a lot there that we need to unpack for our listeners who may yeah. not be familiar with collaborative practice or collaborative divorce and, and Nancy Ross. But uh, collaborative practice is the movement that came out right about when you started in that practice right. in the in the mid-90s, where, and we've had Stu Webb, who was the father of collaborative divorce on our podcast, and we've had Nancy Ross, who's, I would say she's the mother of the coaching and collaborative practice. Absolutely. The, the um the idea that you would have various professionals from various fields collaborate on a case together, attorneys, mental health professionals, financial professionals, and all of them sign an agreement that says that they're never going to go to court. And, and, that- and I think, Sean, to the question that, that really this podcast is focused on, so what does a mental health professional bring to the process? 
the movement to collaborative practice, I think, was driven by this recognition yeah. that in a divorce, there are the legal elements, there are financial elements, and there are psychological, emotional mm-hmm. elements. And you have to work in all three. Which is a lot of what this podcast means, right? We're Absolutely. Why is in a divorce? But we come from our three fields. Yeah. We believe strongly that you can't settle a case until you resolve the financial, the emotional, and the legal needs of both of the clients. Mm-hmm. And 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 so that I think bringing in a mental health professional from the collaborative model, I think we've learned so much about working with mental health professionals from the collaborative movement that it has really made mediation better. Well, I... I... I want to revisit a question that that we have talked about, I think, in the context of the financial specialist discussion. But the way that I think about it is that the, the, the one professional that is needed, if you will, in order for a couple to get divorced is, is the attorney. The attorneys are needed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even that isn't cast in concrete. But the, the, the financial specialist and the mental health professionals um, are, are, are not needed in order to get divorced. I would argue that they certainly uh, facilitate having a healthy divorce process, a healthier divorce process. I mean, and, I, might, and I would say better outcomes yeah. from yeah. my mm-hmm. standpoint, certainly. I might, so re, the, I might rephrase the way you said that. Please, yeah. Who's needed versus who's not needed. I think all of them are needed. Hmm. But one, you, you, you can't required. really get divorced unless right. you have a legal process, which is why yeah. the attorneys kind of seem more essential. But um, so let me ask you both, because we and this is part of the question that when we were talking about the financial specialist, I think I asked you, Sean. So how do you determine that you that that a case really would benefit from having a financial specialist? So let's let's alter that question. How do the two of you determine that a case uh, really would benefit by having a mental health professional involved. I, I, I think the number one thing is when I'm meeting with people for the first time yeah. and I'm seeing that there is a struggle in um, self-awareness, uh, uh, being able to be aware, number one, of what the other person is saying or coming from. Mm-hmm. And also, are you aware of how you are coming across? Are you aware of your own emotions? Mm-hmm. And I think so many people, you know, it's almost an emotional intelligence argument. So many people, when they get into the divorce, they get struck with that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, very intelligent, normally very emotionally intelligent people uh, lose control of that, you know, that emotional response. Mm-hmm. When I see that happening, you know, then then I think, a coach can be very useful. Mm-hmm. The other thing mm-hmm. is if there's there's fear from one party towards the other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find that having a mental health professional involved can really help because what you're really managing is the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And you're also managing, you know, the person that is the person that is feared does things probably where that person does not realize that they are eliciting fear from the other person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having a mental health professional can say, hey, you know, the way you say this from a strategy standpoint is less effective. If you could say it this way, mm-hmm. it would resonate better with your soon-to-be ex-spouse and then might actually get you to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. One of the red flags that I get is when people want to tell me why the money needs to go in a certain way because mm-hmm. of something happened in the marriage. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, oh, yeah. you know, the because she did this, <laughs> I need this to happen financially. And um, that is generally something that, I mean, you always say, Sean, we can talk about the, the who, what, and the when, but please let's stay away from the why, because that's when yeah. we get into the difficulties of really relitigating what happened in the marriage. And as I say to clients, you know, wouldn't it be unreasonable to think that the divorce would be any easier than the marriage was? Yeah. And that yeah. usually gets them to go, oh, yeah, I guess, you know. And Mark, what you're saying, I think, is the, the really important distinction to make to those people who have said, we were in marriage therapy multiple times. It didn't help us. We don't need coaching because it's not going to help us to be able to make it very, very clear that it's not going, it's not about going back and rehashing. Right. But it is about, it, sometimes it does involve a certain amount of grief work just to get them through the process and help them the individuals in their own adjustments, but that it is very, very focused on the goals and objectives of getting through the divorce process in the healthiest and most respective way possible to have a better outcome. And if there are children involved, it's even more important because there's the Absolutely. requirement for a relationship or an interaction to occur. Well, and that's, parent, you know. that's a very good point. And you, you brought up, you know, what are the things that would make me want to bring in a mental health professional? If I'm seeing alienation or estrangement happening with the kids, um, it really it's hard for me to know what is really going on with the family. Mm -hmm. And having a mental health professional, either as a neutral child specialist or two mental health professionals working with each party, it helps me understand the family system a little better as a mm -hmm. resolution person. And, and then I can then figure out then how to align that emotional, legal and financial needs, but then also do it in a way that makes them more effective as co-parents and protects the children. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I was watching The Crown last night. <laughs> I'm sure Mark is thrilled that I watched The Crown. <laughs> but there was a scene where uh, Diana and Charles, the people playing them, Charles said, you know, could we, we didn't do a very good job as, as spouses, but maybe we could do a better job with all of this. And he points to mm. his two sons. Maybe we could be better partners. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's actually a good point. I know this is a dramatization and it may not have, the conversation may not have even occurred and who cares anyway, because it's the royal family who cares about them. But, mm. but you know, understanding that this message that, you know, we failed is if you want to use that word, even fail in our marriage, our marriage did not go well. Things were not butterflies and rainbows. That's why we're here. But can we improve the way that we communicate and work together so that we could be effective partners mm -hmm. in rearing our children? Mm -hmm. You know, I think of, I think of Connie Aaron's Constance Aaron's who, who wrote the book, the good divorce and was mm -hmm. a, a mental health professional here in San Diego that I've done a lot of good work with before she passed away and, and all of us did. Mm -hmm. um, but she talks about in her book, you know, the, the, the different types of parenting, co-parenting styles, you know, and there's the bitter enemies, those people, but then the ones that really work out well, where it's a good divorce, those are the ones that are the power partnership. Well, the, the other thing that I heard 
that drew me to the model. And this was in the, the, the training that I did uh, in the collaborative doors model was that the, the, the goal, if you will, or what they wanted people to envision was that a couple could get divorced and then they could at some point in the future dance joyfully together at the wedding of their child. Dance joyfully together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you imagine. <laughs> and and what a what a gift to be able to give a child for parents to pull themselves together and to be able to do that. And actually feel good about it. Not yes. just like I'm gonna put on a strong face, I'm gonna be good for the kids. But yeah. like, you know, I actually want to have a partnership with this my co-creator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're right. a, you're a parent, you're a co-creator. I always mm-hmm. say it's as close to being near God as possible because you are creating life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be a co-creator with this person and and these people that need you. Um, having that ability to get there is so huge. And I just love that, that imagery that you, you, you gave us there of dancing joyfully. I always say, do you want to dance at your daughter's wedding? Mm-hmm. But the dancing joyfully part, that, yeah. now I, I'm sure. Now that may feel a reach for some people. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. I'll, I'll dance, but I'm keeping arm's length, you know. <laughs> I'm not dancing with him. I had that in a meeting the other day. The person's like, I'm not going to dance with him. I'll dance, but I'm not going to dance with him. Would you be willing to do a line dance? Can we agree on that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Would you be yes. willing to do it? I think we, it's important that we hold out these, these higher objectives. Uh, but to also recognize when they may not be realistic and what is it that we can do to minimize the hurt, to reduce the damage, and hopefully for for me in my role to try to impart some skill building and some tools that they can build on so that things can can improve over the longer term between them. So so let's talk about the different ways that a mental health professional can be utilized on a case. Yeah. I feel like there's there's so many different angles where a mental health professional can be involved. One is yeah. maybe you're the couples therapist and they've decided in couples therapy that a divorce is what needs to happen. And then you become the divorce therapist mm-hmm. and that right. continues and parties can sign releases to allow the mental health professional that they're continuing to work with to communicate with the mediator. And I always find that to be very useful. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's children's therapists mm-hmm. that are providing therapists to a child. And I, I, I had a case recently, and I've done this frequently, where there's a release signed so that I, as the mediator, can communicate with the mental health professional. And this is before I was going to have a meeting with a 15-year-old girl about yeah. her feelings about the divorce and, and mm-hmm. she wanted to be able to express things. And I was able to talk to the her, her mental health professional, her therapist, and we got on the same page and it ended mm-hmm. up being a very useful meeting. And, and then I now need to report back to the, to the therapist, what happened and get more feedback. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. therapist actually took some of the therapy time to prepare the child for the meeting with the mediator. Yeah. So that was yeah. very useful. Well, and I, and I, I want to uh, give credit to you for being, for working in that way. I also want to give credit to the parents and their willingness to authorize that to the 15-year-old to be willing to uh, engage in that way and for the therapist to support that because that doesn't right. always happen. Yeah. doesn't always happen. Well, right. and I think a lot of times therapists are out there and they, they hear 
divorce, legal proceeding, mm -hmm. and they're very worried they're going to be sucked in as a witness. Right. Right. Or that that things that they tell the mediator will show up in court in a public way. Mm -hmm. And I, I I always reassure the mental health professionals that I work with. Listen, at least in California, under 11, uh, evidence code 1119, everything that is discussed in mediation, including the conversations between a therapist and a mediator, mm -hmm. have some of the strongest confidentiality in the entire evidence code. There's nothing mm -hmm. really that can be done mm -hmm. to breach that code unless like you know, there was a reportable event or something that occurred, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like somebody was in, in danger, a child is in danger or something like that. Well, then that would breach the confidentiality and that would be discoverable. But other than that, mm -hmm. um, anything that is said between the mediator and the therapist is strictly confidential. And I don't share it with the parties even, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's some reassurance that they've right. given to a mental health professional. Oh, this is actually a safer environment for my mm -hmm. clients to be in. Mm -hmm. And if they were to go to court and I've seen people lose licenses or come close to losing licenses over saying the wrong thing to an attorney in a litigation case right. or being a witness when they're really a therapist, mm -hmm. um, you know, they have mm -hmm. to be careful about their roles that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's there's also then the the coach, the collaborative coach model that works very well in mediation, too, where you're not providing therapy. You know what happened to you when you're two with your mom? That's <laughs> what I joke about. But but about what am I going to do now for the to prepare mm -hmm. for this meeting or to get through right. this moment in my history and focusing on the communication between the couple? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's that's another role. And then there's well, the, the, the collaborative child specialist role, which is a person that could come in and, and be a child specialist. Yeah, and, and the coaching role can be, I mean, there is absolutely the, the part of it that is about helping people to understand and manage their, their thoughts and feelings more effectively, but also can be very nuts and bolts in terms of skill building, um, how hmm. they say what they say, the tone that they use. An, another role that, um, another way that I'll work in the process is uh, the the mediator or the the consulting attorneys they may refer the couple back to me to talk about the co-parenting agreement, or there may be even be some specific questions that they have vis-a-vis -vis settlement that they want to discuss with me. And and I mean that one of the advantages of that is that that is a, is a less expensive way to have those preliminary discussions. And I think that can work really well when there's coordination amongst the professional team members. I think that's, that's key is the coordination yeah. between the professionals. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the client's allowing the professionals to mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes people get concerned about losing control of their case and, and turning it over to a professional. But I think, you know, these conversations that the professionals can have behind your back, I always joke, we're going to talk about you behind your back. Mm -hmm. uh, those are actually very helpful mm -hmm. so that we can be very frank with each other. And then again, that's all protected by mediation confidentiality. Well, also, it saves money because if one of us has obtained information since the last team meeting that, it, that you know, revealed in the meeting would cause all sorts of consternation. Um, which does happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you find out something happened around the money that one spouse has revealed that the other spouse had no knowledge of. And yeah, you, my concern is that it's going to result in a blow up. 
we can talk about how to address it and mm-hmm. how best, who best to bring it up mm-hmm. um, and how it should be discussed. And that is very powerful. But if mm-hmm. we don't have those pre-meetings, as I like to call them, you know, 15, 30 minutes before getting on with everybody, um, sometimes I feel I'm going into a meeting and I get blindsided because I just don't know that something else occurred in another sphere of the case. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think, Mark, what you're referencing connects with something that we've talked about before, and that is how people, how clients react to the idea that there's a professional team involved and how important it is that we help them understand why it's actually going to save them money in the long run. Because it's a more efficient process. There's a greater level of coordination of care, which is absolutely key. Um, and and for them to understand why this the, the process works the way it does, and that involving people in the ways that we're suggesting is really the more cost-effective and efficient way to approach the work in the longer term. I, I would say bringing in the mental health professionals like lubrication for the ball bearings. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the machinery might work mm-hmm. without it, but there's going to be more friction. Mm-hmm. And parts wear out, mm-hmm. but when you when you lubricate the ball bearings, it just it's much more efficient. So and it's better for the, and it's better for the equipment. <laughs> so so let's talk about the other side of it then. So because mm-hmm. there are absolutely those cases where it's not necessary, and so what are the cases where a mental health professional isn't necessary? It's one of those things where, you know, people came to a joint decision that a divorce makes sense and they're getting along well. Mm-hmm. If they're getting along well. Yeah. And I'm I'm not seeing that lack of emotional control or mm-hmm. emotional self-awareness. Mm-hmm. If if people are emotionally self-aware and they're able to reach make proposals, reasonable proposals and respond reasonably to proposals you know then then i find that a mental health professional may not be as necessary Mm -hmm. although i i struggle to find a case where a mental health professional couldn't help at all Mm -hmm. my my Mm -hmm. challenge with that is that uh, i've had you know uh, when i when we used to meet face to face all the time yeah. i would always allow the clients to seat themselves in my big conference room um the first time um like to sort of make sure yeah. everyone's positioned correctly when we got yeah. into the case but and if they were on the far cap ends of the 12 person <laughs> table, yeah. I had a very different case as if they were sitting in chairs next to each other. Yeah. Um, so there's a an indication right from the start. If they're mm-hmm. across from each other, yeah, that tells you something too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, the problem <laughs> I had is sometimes people would come in almost be holding hands. Mm. But you always find out why they're getting divorced. Mm-hmm. There's a Everybody's reason. got a kryptonite. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, my mistake has been, well, these folks are playing nicely in my in my uh, presence. I presume they're going to do just fine. They don't need a coach. And I will say nine out of ten times that was a bad decision on my behalf. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think, Mark, that um, my belief absolutely is far better to err on the side of having the mental health professionals involved at the outset and then use them very sparingly. Yeah. Than to have things go awry and try to bring them in later. Because in it can I, feel remedial to the clients. I, I oh, will. you've really screwed up. Now we're going to have to bring in a mental health professional. And that <laughs> yeah. doesn't feel good, you know. <laughs> I will say this 100% of my clients could benefit from some involvement with a mental health professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, every human probably ought to have therapy at some point mm-hmm. in their lives, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, that you're defective or weak because you need to consult with a therapist or a mental health professional. It's because you're a human and you have emotions just like the rest of us, you know, and I I've done cases. I actually represented a family law attorney Mm -hmm. at court in his, his own custody proceeding at court. And he said to me, I realized, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm a family law attorney. I represent people all the time at court, but I realized that I couldn't represent myself at court. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a reason why mental health professionals are prohibited from doing therapy on themselves or their family members. (laughs) And it's because you can't, you know, you're, you're a human, you're going to have those things that creep up that make it impossible for you to, to be Mm -hmm. truly objective and Mm -hmm. truly able to make decisions. And what I want people to make decisions on is on good information and objective criteria, mm-hmm. not on some emotional reaction. And so mm-hmm. having someone that can help them recognize and control their own emotions is just, it, 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 it's useful in every case. I, I can't mm-hmm. think of one where it wouldn't be useful. I can think of cases where we can get through it. And I'm pretty right. good. I've got a lot of, you know, I'm a pretty good mediator. I'm trained in dispute resolution. I know how to help people bridge a gap, but you know, there's, I, I struggle to think of a case where they couldn't have benefited from a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and when you're thinking about the the, the difference of, of how we all practice and how family law litigators practice is the, I believe we all have a concern about how this couple are going to do individually and separately post judgment. Right. Whereas with the litigators, you got your judgment, I'm done, I'm on to the next case. I, I don't think they spend a lot of time worrying about how wife is going to survive having kept her house she couldn't really afford. They're on to the next case. But the, our process focuses not just on getting a, a deal cut that they can both feel okay about signing. It's really about setting up for success on a, both an emotional and a financial um, set uh, standpoint mm-hmm. from that mm-hmm. angle, and and mm-hmm. you said it a moment ago, Pete, when you said you know people need to learn skills, right? I I always say you're learning a new muscle when you're interacting mm-hmm. in a divorce situation, and when you go to the gym for the first time in a while, um, you feel muscles you didn't know you had, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the, that the, happens in divorce. Well, and it it does require though um, uh, a, a willingness on the part of the clients to to avail themselves of the resource to recognize that working with a mental health professional is in their best interest and you know somebody can recognize that something something is in their best interest and be willing to do it and and not particularly like it particularly at the outset all of that can happen simultaneously but what doesn't work 
It's interesting. I'm thinking back to the point in my career where I made the decision, I am no longer going to accept court-ordered cases. There was a period of time where I would get uh, uh, referrals from uh, the court for people that were involved in really bad litigated divorces. And somebody being court-ordered to therapy, that just doesn't go well. It doesn't work. And so I think similarly, um, if a person really doesn't want to do uh, a, to connect and work with a mental health professional as part of a collaborative process, it's, it's probably not going to be particularly helpful. Although I would say that's probably also, you know, fairly uh, representative of how they're going to show up in the process more broadly as well. Guys, I have a question that, uh, you know, I've a situation I've come across on more than one occasion is when I bring up the concept of the mental health professional, the the response has been, well, yes, he needs one, but I don't. (laughs) He could certainly benefit, but I don't. Yeah, Um, she's crazy. She certainly (laughs) Exactly. So how do you um, approach that? From a, well, a from a therapy from a therapist standpoint, you know. Well, the the way that I address that is here's the you know the bottom line is is what I would say to a person in that situation is it sounds like you would like your your soon to be ex spouse to be very introspective and to be self examining and looking at their behavior, um, and you know the answer to that is yes absolutely or or sometimes with a particular swear word in front of the word yes right yes um and when i will say well the, the the best way to ensure that or to encourage that is to do it yourself so if you want them to be involved in coaching it's in your interest to do it as well and then i also say because that can't be um a, a kind of manipulative step they have to recognize and they have to understand that all couples co-create their dynamic and they both have a responsibility in it. But the bottom line is they can't expect their, their ex to do something that they themselves are not willing to do. I'll I'll often ask a a, a person that's resistant to hiring a mental health professional. um, Have you ever had a conversation with your spouse where it just didn't go well? And (laughs) and you, you said something that just blew the, the, and she reacted very strongly or he reacted very strongly to it in a way you didn't expect. Oh yeah. That's why we're getting divorced. <laughs> yeah. Well, a coach can help you kind of avoid those landmines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and can kind of help you understand, you know, there's a reason why you're getting divorced, right? It's not because you guys are getting along fantastically. Would you like to be able to get along well enough to be able to get through this process? Yes. Well, maybe this person can help you know how to react to kind of, I was, I was, it, it maybe it sounds a little manipulative, but you know, you need somebody to help you react to her craziness or his craziness. Yeah. You know, somebody that can kind of help you have a better strategy for how you're going to work with this very difficult person. <laughs> a, a strategy I have used is to use the children mercilessly, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically yeah. is yeah. to say, well, um, yes, you know, but you're having real challenges in your co-parenting. You've shared that with me. You know, I think you might be able to get some assistance around that. And so your kids will be less negatively impacted by what's yeah. going on because you both expressed to me that you want your kids to do well. Well, and, and none of this, you know, even though it sounds kind of like we're 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 manipulating, we're not because we're telling the truth. 
Yeah. You know, if your kids, are, you're, you know, the one thing we know that screws kids up in a divorce is the conflict, right? And if we can do yeah. something to reduce the conflict by bringing a mental health professional and protect your kids thereby, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, would you like to be able to have strategies to deal with this person that's been very difficult for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how's it worked so far? You're getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Would you like to have a better relationship with this person, even though you're divorcing them? Mm-hmm. Most people are like, yeah, I actually would like to be able to know how to interact with that person. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest ones to approach are the ones that think they're the smartest person in the room all the time. Yeah. I don't well, need that. I know how to work with her. I just tell her off, you know. <laughs> and those people are hard because they think they know better and they blame everybody else for their problems. Mm-hmm. I, I get that in the financial space too. Yeah. yeah. I understand all of this stuff and. So my response to that is, and uh, how was explaining that to your wife gone over the last uh, 20 years? Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you like somebody who could actually you know, help her and understand that right. the offer you're making is a generous offer? You know, or, or the folks that think they're the best financial genius in the universe, but they've done their own day trading. They've underperformed the S&P 500 consistently for the last 25 years. Those, uh, people. those kind of people. Yes, <laughs> there are. I think we're we're drawing a distinction between the cases that that um, they reach a settlement successfully, and then there are those mm-hmm. cases that 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 thrive way beyond that, where the, the 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 people are willing to be introspective. Both partners are willing willing to be introspective. They're willing to think about their contributions to the co-created dynamic between them. They're able to manage their self-righteousness or their entitlement or their hurt, anger, disappointment. And they're really able to come to a collaborative way of being with each other that's better for them both as they separate into the world as individuals, no longer partners, and and co-parents. And and I think it's fair to say, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, it's a very, very rare case that we get started with that we can't get the parties to a place of they're divorced. Mm-hmm. They've signed an MSA, um, but we aspire to so much more and want to provide so much more for the people that are willing to do the work. And maybe we're coming full circle. I think that the mental health professional, that my role is really uh, trying to facilitate that growth process for people in this, that they literally use their divorce as a I, I way I was going to say that, Pete. The, the summary of what you were saying before is, can both of these individuals grow throughout the process, yeah. become um, a little more self-aware, um, a little more competent in perhaps the fields they were not as involved in during the marriage, be it the parenting, be it the money, Um, There's always a division of labor in a marriage that means that one knows more about the kids, one knows more about the money, and that's perfectly healthy when you're married. But when you divorce, that that imbalance can have a negative impact on the future. So Mm -hmm. can the person who didn't handle the money grow to the point where he or she is comfortable in doing a budget, paying the bills, living within their means? Can the person that had no idea what was going on with the children until the weekend came you know, be aware of the fact that, you know, they need to have their equipment with them in the morning when they go. Otherwise they can't go to practice after school, that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think there's, I love it when people make me irrelevant as their mediator. <laughs> so my job is to help bridge gaps and resolve disputes. 
And when people learn the skills to where they don't need a professional mediator to sit with them every time they talk about something, mm-hmm. um, that's that to me, that is a, a payday for me because so I, 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 I feel happier when I don't get repeat business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a good business model, but it's actually better for the world because I love it when I don't have to hear from people again. Now that said, sometimes people come back because they need some help, but, but, but learning the skills to be able to resolve your own disputes, to be able to hear each other's grievances, hear each other's concerns and be aware of one another's needs, even post-divorce and your children's needs is, is really what we're looking for. And that's really why we've, you know, we kind of tie everything together from our three-part series. We've got the attorneys. We've got the the to to help with the legal needs. We have the financial professional to help with the financial needs, and we have the mental health professionals to help with the emotional needs. And really, all three of them working together. It's a it's a it's a it's the three stools to to dispute resolution, or the three mm-hmm. legs to the stool for dispute resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, it enables everybody to have the skills they need and the information they need to be able to not need us anymore. Mm-hmm. And some people come into this process not willing to really participate in it. Yeah. You know, they want to have the professionals talk from their lawyer to talk for them. And what we've been dealing with or addressing today requires them to become engaged. And to become yeah. a part of the process as opposed to an observer of the process. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many cases I've had where a person is like, I cannot be in the same room with that person. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's just see how this goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and usually by the end of the process, they're able to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not comfortable. Maybe mm-hmm. they're angry and hurt and betrayed and all of the above. But they can do it. They've got mm-hmm. a new skill. They've got it. And they, they're stronger as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. We did it again. <laughs> we do that every time. Yeah. So, um, Pete, if somebody needs a mental health professional to participate in their divorce mediation, what should they do? Uh, they can go to my website, uh, peterrusos.com. It's P E T E R R O U S S O S.com. I've got a lot of information there about my practice and my way of working, and they can email me from the contact me page there. Okay. And Mark, if somebody needs some help with the financial aspects of their divorce, what should they do? Once again, go to the website. It's The company name is Pacific Divorce Management. The website is packdivorce.com, and we have a contact form on there too. And uh, if you need help resolving your legal dispute, I am here. My name is Sean Weber. It's Weber Dispute Resolution, W-E-B-E-R-1-B, like the grill, disputeresolution.com. And we can help you uh, get matched with a mediator to resolve any dispute that you have. Okay, well, till next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with others who may be in a similar place. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and focused on a positive, bright future. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Every family law case is unique, so no legal, financial, or mental health advice is intended during this podcast. 
If you need help with your specific situation, feel free to schedule a time to speak with one of us for a personal consultation. 